From the Public Relations Global Network, this is PRGN Presents. I'm Adrian McIntyre. And I'm Abby Fink, Vice President General Manager of HMA Public Relations in Phoenix, Arizona, and a founding member of PRGN. With public relations leaders embedded into the fabric of the communities we serve, clients hire our agencies for the local knowledge, expertise, and connections in markets spanning six continents across the world. Our guests on this bi-weekly podcast series are all members of the Public Relations Global Network. They discuss such topics as the importance of sustainability and environmental, social, and governance programs, crisis communications, content marketing, reputation management, and outside-of-the-box thinking for growing your business. For more information about PRGN and our members, please visit PRGN.com. And now, let's meet our guest for this episode. I'm David Wills. Um, I'm with Media Profile, which is a Toronto-based independent public relations firm. Uh, we've been around for more than 35 years, and we're about 50 people strong. David, there was a study uh, published by the Institute of Public Relations that says there's a significant gap that exists between the sources which should be responsible for combating dis- disinformation versus how well they are actually combating it. And we have heard so much over the last handful of years about disinformation, malinformation, and misinformation that I was intrigued by this this statement. And then really it's it went a little bit further and specifically talking about, you know, how Canadians feel about disinformation and, and who's responsible for that. And I wanted to dive in a little bit with you on that, given that you as a communications professional and that you're guiding clients around this, you know, this idea of being trustworthy and transparent. This is a pretty powerful statement about who should be responsible and how well they're doing it or how well they're not doing it in this case. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I do think it's a problem in Canada, just like it's a problem in the United States and just like it's a problem in other countries. Uh, when we look at those sources that should be correcting, um, you know, that's a pretty broad group. It could be, you know, media that are covering those stories that should be challenging. Um, you know, they're the people they interview and they get information from more directly. But it's also the organizations that are at the heart of that information. And I think one of the things that concerns me the most is that people are being selective in correcting misinformation based on whether it's in their uh, interest to correct it or not, as opposed to just correcting the information. And I think that's a slippery slope that is getting a little steeper. Uh, I think media do a very good job of trying to combat it, but we're seeing camps of media develop just like you are in the United States, which is, you know, this is a media that is more right-wing. This is a media media that's more left-wing. And they tend to do the same sort of thing. And they attract an audience that, supports those views and we end up with polarization and then misinformation gets lobbed back and forth. Uh, but I think it's the sources uh, of the information themselves where we really have to be tackling this. We can't rely just on media to do it because of that polarization. You know, I can remember when, you know, going through uh, journalism school and we would, you know, talk about when an error was made in a story, what was the responsibility of the publication and, and, you know, the factual error needed to be corrected and published as a correction 
within so many days of of the occurrence. And there was a you know a place in the paper where corrections would occur. And if you found something that was factually incorrect, it was re- the responsibility of you know the editor, the reporter, whoever it was to make that fix. And you know, I, oftentimes I'll have these conversations with clients, and there's an explanation between if you didn't like the way it came across versus the way, you know, whether it was actually correct or incorrect. The challenge that we have today, I think, is to your point, there are numerous media outlets, and I use that word a little bit loosely, that that have formed that are really intended to put out information that I, my challenge is whether it's wrong information or information we don't agree with. And I think there has to be some distinction in that, you know, if it's if it's factually incorrect or if it's just an opinion that I don't happen to agree with. And and the challenge for me is that opinions need to be designated as such and not put out there as potential news. And that's where I think the biggest challenge comes in. Yeah, what you're really talking about is a lack of balance, because sometimes it can be factually correct, but it's uh, it's only presenting the evidence that supports one position or one ideology and doesn't balance it out that others may disagree and that therefore they see the world in a different way. Uh, you know, you talk about media, they're, you know, what that was how I started my career as well. And I worked for a chain of weekly newspapers. And my editor used to take me to task on my stories and say, can you back this up? You know, okay, this person said this. Why didn't you go and talk to this person? Uh, to get balance. And I think one of the things that we've seen is that media newsrooms have been stripped down to the bare bones. So, you know, to give you an idea in Canada, our major daily newspapers no longer have copy editors on staff. They farm it out to uh, a company called PageMasters that employs former copy editors that worked for the other papers who do the copy editing of some stories, not all, uh, but they don't fact check. They just copy edit. So the fact-checking part has gone. The research departments are gone. They can't afford them because they don't bring revenue in. And we're seeing more mistakes that are made by media, and we're seeing them corrected. And I think they do, in Canada, they do a pretty good job of uh, doing a proper correction and giving it the proper profile, especially with social media. But the problem is that it's all about speed, and there is that there isn't that second set of eyes anymore. So we have to, as an audience, we have to know that, and we have to filter it and say, hmm, that doesn't seem right to me and look for other sources ourselves. Well, right. There's this this underlying, we need to be first, we'll worry about being right later. Yeah. And that that's a bit of a challenge. And and I think, you know, the 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 algorithm world that we live in now that feeds us content based on what we've looked at before, you know, drives the fact that we're going to continue to see the same kind of information if we we get our sources of information on an, in an online platform. And and you know, we, we've talked about this as an industry. I think that, you know, the consumers need to be smart about the news that they are consuming and, and, and some level need to take responsibility as well to research the facts. If they hear about something that feels 
that might not be quite right, or I don't understand it, or this is the first time I've heard it. Can I find it somewhere else? And it doesn't necessarily mean that the somewhere else has it actually 100% correct either, but to start to be able to corroborate the information, I think there's some responsibility. You know, the the study, you know, talked about whether it was the government's responsibility, whether it was the journalist's responsibility, which I think, oh, it takes some of that as well. But I think as consumers of news, we're supposed, we should be taking responsibility as well for how we interpret the information that we're being given. Yeah, and, and I think we still see good examples of, you know, kind of the, like, I've, this is a bad word in Canada right now, the gatekeepers on that uh, that are that are keeping uh, people honest. So one of the new major newspapers in Canada, when there's an election, they run a um, kind of a BS meter uh, on what the politicians say. And what they'll do is they'll take each leader uh, of a party. And we, we're not a two-party system here. We have um, at least three major parties and probably five at the federal level because we have a separatist party in Quebec. But they will follow the leaders and uh, listen to everything they say publicly for one week. And that is going to events and listening to their speeches, their media interviews, any material that they put out. And then they fact check it all and they rate it that, that you know, here's our candidate uh, for you know, president of the universe, Abby. She made this many comments and she was 90% accurate. Uh, or, you know, and then they compare them against each other. And it's pretty brutal because sometimes it's like, well, this is a, and they call it out. It's like, well, what she said is technically correct, but the framing that she used that fact in makes it incorrect because, you know, she, you know, Abby said that David said this. Yes, he said that, but he didn't say that about what she's saying he said it about. And they actually do a pretty good job, but I'm, I kind of wonder how many people read that. Like I am, you know, I'm, I devour it, right? Like I get up in the morning knowing that, oh, you know, today's the one that's coming out. Uh, and, and I look at it and I'm always disappointed when my candidates don't score a hundred percent, but they're humans. Um, but I think that we're, you know, th that's rare and they don't do it all the time. And, you know, I think we can't rely on media. I think we can get upset at media when they deliberately share misinformation, but I think we can't blame them for not calling everybody out on it because they're they don't have the time or the resource. So do you really and this is one of the challenges that I have because I'll 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 so strongly believe in our in our journalists and their in their ethical standards and their their code of ethics that they practice. It's the deliberateness of it. So I think I want to believe that our mainstream media, if that's even something that makes sense anymore, um, not to to discount the the lack of staff and some of the other things that are that are happening in the newsrooms today. But journalistic ethics should still stand and say, we need to fact check. We need two sources, at least in our story. If we heard conflicting information, we should figure out how to verify it. It's the it's the publications or the media outlets that are not traditional or ethical publications. And I'm, I, you know, the one the ones that are being driven by a very um, specific platform, they are trying to get information out and they're not held to those same standards. They don't you know, they don't subscribe to a, a code of ethics of any kind. And it's really propaganda. And it's, you know, and, and it's intended to provide 
misinformation or lead you down a particular path. And so, again, the distinction for me is, is you know, how do we help how do we help consumers of news being part of that that world understand the difference? What what is factual? What is multiple multiple sources versus a one source opinion, which is what that ends up being when you're making decisions about what you're reading. And then when we're working with it within our clients, you know, how do we make sure that, you know, we have very specific goals in mind for what we want to get out there on behalf of the organizations that we represent. And to some extent, we want to be the source for stories and be the only source a reporter relies on. And that feeds into that challenge as well. Yeah, I think you've touched on something, which is sort of the the value of good communications counsel. And, you know, this is a bit of a shameless plug for the for the PR industry here. But our clients um, still value earned media. Uh, I think people, uh, if you look at what has influence, it's personal connection. So if Abby recommends, uh, you know, this washing machine to me because she's my friend, she's bought this, this is her experience, that gets the most weight. The second most um, influential thing is earned media. So it's uh, it's a story in the in the in traditional media um, that will influence people, and I think that a good public relations counselor, um, when they're putting their client in front of the media, they know about the outlet, they know about the journalist, they know what the journalist has written about in the past, uh, they know what the publication, uh, what their if they have an agenda, it's maybe not an agenda, but it could be an approach. You know, some media like short-form media. They like very short stories, 200 words or more, whereas a magazine may want 2,000 words or more. And we prepare our clients for that encounter based on that knowledge of the journalist and the person they're engaging with. Because if we can help them understand what that journalist is delivering to their audience, our clients can have better information, have it ready, provide some of that balance, give them direction, and say, you know, you don't just, um, you know, they can point to a study, for example, like you let off this segment pointing to a study. You know, that's not an Abby Fink stu- uh, study. It's something that you read, but you're pointing people to it that they can go and get information to make decisions on their own. So I think that that's the PR counselor's role is to make sure that people who are want to provide information through the media uh, know what they're getting into. They know enough about the person they're talking to, and then they can do it more effectively. How do you relate that same theory, because I 100% agree with it, to the 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 social platforms that we're using where, you know, truly anyone with a, you know, a internet connection, a, a mobile device can become a journalist simply by, you know, putting out content. You know, there was, um, I remember reading something not all that long ago that said, you know, people are clicking through and posting links to things without ever reading the content because the headline grabbed them or it felt like it was something look le- look legit they just share it and we're passing that information along really without even our own you know reading it ourselves but social media or you know the digital communications has really altered that ability i think to know the journalists that we're working with you know there you know we would have relationships with reporters that we work with i'm i'm assuming you do similar you you know you reach out to them, you get to know them a little bit, you meet for coffee, you're at an industry event, you you learn about them more than just what they do, you know, in the in their daily job. But the but the things online have a much different 
you, you don't get to know those folks in the same way. And I think it it has certainly led to, in my view, a more, you know, more of a, a distribution of, you know, that misinformation or, or disinformation because they're just, they're just hit and share. They're not, you know, worrying about vetting it out at all. A lot of journalists do self-promotion. So they, um, you know, they write an article and then they, um, they put it out on Twitter or some other social platform to extend the reach of it, to drive uh, people to reading that story. One of the things that we've seen here, and I'm, I'm sure you probably have some examples in the U.S. as well, is some journalists who've spectacularly flamed out um, with their social media activity where they become the story instead of the stories that they're covering are the story. And what happens there is that then nobody wants to talk to them because they, you know, they see them commenting about stories and they see them pop, putting their opinion in. And then when they call our clients and say, oh, I'd like to talk to you about housing. And it's like, no way. Like, you, you know, you, you called me a, you know, radical, woke, lefty, socialist, you know, all of these things that, uh, that are labeled in a negative way. That's a lot of those words are positive, but, uh, you know, they insult them. And then all of a sudden they can't get their phone calls returned because they've shown too much of themselves and nobody trusts. Them. So the sources don't trust them and then they can no longer effectively do their jobs. You know, I think social media, we all have our opinions on it. You know, in many ways, Twitter has very much become a cesspool in certain uh, things with news and with sharing. Um, I do see that the community sort of gangs up on it where they'll, you'll share something and people will immediately pounce on you say, did you even read this? It was about that. And I see people saying, my bad, I just read the headline and then I'm going to take it down. They take responsibility for it. So they kind of get... It's sort of self-governing that way, but you're right that it's the, you know, read the headline, click, I can't believe they did this. And then when you actually read the story, the headline's not what you thought it was. And it's like, oh, disconnect here. And I'm now part of the misinformation, disinformation uh, industry. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, it's, it's a huge responsibility, I think, for, you know, again, we, we look at it differently in that we're in this on a, on a daily basis. But, you know, anyone that, that chooses to engage and share content, you know, to me, there's a responsibility in recognizing what you're doing and what you're putting out there, whether that's because you are being paid to do it or you find the headline interesting enough. And and I you you mentioned trustworthiness and and you know, you're right. If you tell me something, I trust you because I know you and I believe you will guide me in the right direction. And therefore it's comfortable for me to 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 do that. We've established a relationship that allows me to trust. And to some extent, I think it's our responsibility to help guide our clients and the organizations that we represent to be that trustworthy source, right? That that we are we can provide information that's valuable and welcomed out into the world. We help you find the place for it to go that will make the most impact and then live by that transparent principles that we continue to have that that trustworthiness really in anything else that we put we put forward. And it's, it's a, it's a huge responsibility for all parts, in my view, um, to, to ensure that we do everything we can to combat, you know, the continued distribution of incorrect information. You mentioned trustworthiness, and that's really uh, the heart of all of this. 
Um, one of our organizations that Media Profile supports is the Canadian Journalism Foundation. And they're part of a worldwide effort that is sort of tackling this misinformation from the perspective of earning trust, that journalists have to earn trust. Because we have seen a deterioration of trust uh, with the public, uh, with journalism. It's gone down. It's still very high, but it has diminished. And it's diminished because of bad behavior in media. And it's diminished because of this polarization. And it's also diminished because anybody can now say they're a journalist. We have these online outlets that follow politicians around, for example, and they just attack them uh, and try and get attention. And then they post the videos online and then they, uh, they propagate it through social media. But they consider, you know, they're, they're in that sphere that they're considered journalists, even though they're really not. They're not properly trained and they're doing something for an agenda or often for fundraising. Uh, you know, do something outrageous and you can raise money on it. And, you know, part of the what the Canadian Journalism Foundation and others around the world are doing is sort of trying to separate good, real journalists that are properly trained, that, that uh, work to those ethical standards that you talked about. Um, and say, no, that that's not what journalists are. This is what journalism is, to kind of raise that trustworthiness. And they say things like, check more than one source, even if it's more than one news source. You know, if you go to just the stuff that aligns with your values, you're not getting the full story and you're doing yourself a disservice. And they, you know, they kind of promote that. It's, you know, we did a fun campaign with them during a, a, a federal election in Canada called Doubt It. And we did this series of videos where... You know, there's that loudmouth dad at the dinner table saying, you know, I heard he wasn't even born in Canada and doesn't have a passport. And then there's, you know, then they cook, they pan to the other end of the table and there's, you know, Peter Mansbridge, who's, you know, Canada's most famous journalist. He was the, the host of the, the national news for years and years and years. And he's, he's at the table and he just looks up and shakes his head. And then it says, doubt it. You know, if it doesn't seem right, check it out. And, you know, points to some tools. So you can have different fun with that. But it's like the Canadian Journalism Foundation is seeing that they have a responsibility to defend journalism, but also to hold it to a higher standard. Thanks for listening to this episode of PRGN Presents, brought to you by the Public Relations Global Network. We publish new episodes every other week. So follow PRGN Presents in your favorite podcast app. Episodes are also available on our website, along with more information about PRGN and our members at PRGN.com. 